200 level episode 229. Mike Carpenter here in the basement and trying something new for a solo pod. Going live on Twitch. And this is totally random, so I don't even know how many people are going to tune in live. The last time we did Twitch on Monday with me, Isaac, and Trevor, we ended up getting 156 views. So uh, these videos, I think, stay on Twitch for quite a while, even if you don't catch it live. And if you like the visual element, well, here you go. It is me talking into my phone and into a microphone in the basement. And wow, a lot has happened in 72 hours since Illinois got schmacked at Marquette. And I say schmacked. In actuality, that loss probably should have been by more than a point. That was ugly. But ultimately, today's podcast is going to be hopeful. And I think that there are far more reasons for optimism and hope than for the alternative, which is, oh God, this team's going to not meet expectations, and Brad Underwood doesn't really have this program where we want it. I actually think this program is as healthy as it's been probably since Bill Self. And you can take, of course, the early Bruce Weber eras. But it really struck me today when I was listening to Jeremy Warner interview Joe Hendrickson on the Alana Inquirer podcast and really uh, hit home how much we are stacking classes in a way that we have not probably since the early part of the 2000s. And what that breeds is a sustained kind of success which is really all I was asking for when Brad Underwood was hired. And really, for that matter, all I was asking for when John Gross was hired. You just want to get a coach in here that can take you to NCAA tournaments and occasionally win uh, you know, a Big Ten title and maybe make a deep run in the tournament. If I think about what makes me happy as an Illini fan in the winter, you know, why I even bother um, getting as into it as I do every November through March, it is quite simply making NCAA tournaments and giving me a reason to tune in two, three times a week. And other than that, I, I don't need an elite program. But I think the way that things happened so quickly last year and the way that they ended with such a thud against Loyola, when I was watching Monday night, I think the reason I got so ticked off was it planted that seed, and I don't like that seed. The seed, of course, being, oh my God, they might do the same thing again in March. And that would suck, right? Let's say this team goes on to have a lot of success this year and they have another disappointing loss in the tournament. Of course it would suck. And of course it would inform how we feel about things going into the offseason. But is this program healthy? Yes. Is this program top half of the Big Ten? Absolutely. Top three or top four? And as Jeremy talked about on his podcast earlier this week with Derek Piper, you know, we're out recruiting the likes of Michigan State. So this is really a position that, I think even our wildest hopes and dreams for what the Brad Underwood era would look like, they've exceeded that. Now, of course, we all measure it by postseason success, but the way that you're stacking classes and the way that you're getting winners like a Ty Rogers, for example, it's difficult to imagine the floor for this program being very low. And that's reason enough to be excited, I think. Reason enough to think that for the foreseeable future, we're going to be able to spend our winters following a relevant team in the Big Ten at a minimum, and hopefully nationally as well. And when you get nothing but top 100 guys, and you get guys with all the intangible qualities that, man, the the laudatory way in which Joe Henriksen, who, who tells it like it is, the way in which he was talking about Ty Rogers, you would have thought this is maybe a program-changing guy. I know what kind of guy Ty Rogers probably is. He's the kind of guy that would have been essentially a Tom Izzo staple. And it's the kind of guy that Michigan State was recruiting for a reason. He's the kind of guy that would have played there for four years and driven you nuts because he does everything right. And he embodies this toughness that Michigan State has become so associated with. Well, Illinois, I think, is starting to embody that. Now, the thing that needs to follow that toughness, of course, 
is consistency. And as great as that run was last year from the Iowa win at home through the Big Ten tournament, the consistency was still the major foible with that team. It was the reason why, you know, as confident as we felt going into the NCAA tournament, it was not a complete and total shock when Loyola happened because we'd seen it back in November and December. So if I'm looking long-term and you know that the macro way that we look at things in the 200 level, that's what I tend to do. I feel great about it. Now, do I feel great about what happened Monday? No. And we can hold these two truths at the same time. We can hold the truth that that was awful on Monday and that was unacceptable and we need to do better than that. But we can also hold, in the other hand, the fact that things are looking up and for quite a while. And that's all I need as an Illini basketball fan. So we got a lot to talk about today. We got Kofi coming back. We have a recruiting class coming in next year with a couple guys that I think will probably be immediate impact players if not all three, and we'll see. I'm, I'm a little bit higher on next year's class than the one that we have right now with these freshmen. And then we got to talk football. Brett Bielema not going to be coaching on Saturday in a very weird turn of events. Guy gets his booster shot, and uh, he got it, I guess, a little bit too late, five days before he ends up getting COVID. And uh, he's okay, as you would expect for someone that's vaccinated and got the booster. But still, really bad luck for him, for someone that – has all those ties to Iowa. Was I mean, he played at Iowa, right? So he's got a Hawkeye tattoo, for God's sake. And he doesn't get to go up there and coach what would be, to this point, the biggest game of the season because you have a potential bowl appearance on the line. I do think it factors into how the game will go Saturday. We'll get to football last, but... Before we get too far into this, got to remind you that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so go online to dpdoe.com for a custom zone with any toppings you want. You can get one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. Those were my two go-tos back in college. And yeah, that's how long DP Doe has been open. 15 years. I was a freshman going on sophomore when they opened. They're still going strong at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby.com, and I should bring a t-shirt down for the uh, Twitch stream. Got a bunch of Fourth and Kirby stuff, five t-shirts and a crew neck sweatshirt. And they have most all their inventory ready to go, including a restock of an orange Illinois t-shirt that I got two years ago with the blue Illinois script, a lot like those retro jerseys. So you can check that out at fourthandkirby.com and a new Juice Williams t-shirt that might be my new favorite shirt that I've seen at Fourth and Kirby. And that's saying something at fourthandkirby.com. Nope, just hit the microphone there. Uh, Got to thank Rector Construction online at R-E-C-T-O-R Construction. Um, These guys are experts at anything for your home exterior needs. Uh, Let's see, great craftsmanship for one. The customer service is second to none. And they're also great citizens of Champaign-Urbana. Hey, Isaac Ambrose works for him. You know he's a good guy. So go online to rectorconstruction.com. That is R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. He's my guy, me and Kara's guy for homeowners and auto insurance Got great State Farm prices on the bundle, and it was a seamless process. Him and his staff made it really easy. So go online to brianismyguy.com, State Farm agent Brian Hansen at brianismyguy.com. All right, got to also thank Awani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. Okay, we have some people tuning in here. Hello, it's Whippy Whipple. I'm sorry, Whipple. Good to see you again. Uh, nine people currently on the Twitch, as, as to be expected. Ten, look at that, on uh, the 5 o'clock hour on a Thursday night. But as I said at the opening of this podcast, these videos tend to stay uh, on Twitch for quite a while. So I don't know if they 
are permanent. I'm going to check that and see. But we will get a video archive of these podcasts as well, and you can see my studio in all of its glory. Uh, so go to the Twitch stream. It is twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level. Oh, by the way, Apple Podcast rate and review us. That helps us move up the charts. So whenever someone searches uh, Illinois, they will see the 200 level. Okay, let's start with basketball and what happened on Monday. I was really, really peeved, and I don't say peeved very much. I was peeved on Monday because more than anything, it took me back to a very dark place that I had not been since the Loyola game. We were all in a dark place during that Loyola game. I said things that I regret immensely during the Loyola game. I said something about Sister Jean that if I were a Catholic would probably get me banished from the church, uh, albeit I am not a Catholic. So... As I'm watching this game on Monday with Trevor and Isaac, if you watch that video or listen to the podcast, you see that things were relatively chill. I mean, we were frustrated that it was so ugly. And then Coleman Hawkins gets the dunk with 5.30 to go. And then if you look at the box score, the play-by-play of what happened next, it is really hard to fathom just how bad Andre Curbelo is. And I want to start with that because it's always tricky as a now 35-year-old being critical of college athletes and guys that are... 15 years younger than I am. I mean, is Andre Corbello even 20? I don't know. He's an amazing athlete. I love watching Andre Corbello play. He's going to go down as one of my favorite line. I'm almost sure of it. But the display that we saw on Monday night was cause for concern. Now, we can hold, again, two truths in one hand. Um, the first truth is that Andre Corbello is very good. But the second truth is that when he is out of control like that, when he is not able to corral some of those more wild instincts of his game that we all love, right? then you run the risk of having games like that. And I know Marquette and their Havoc defense probably had something to do with that, though I'm a little less convinced that it was about Marquette, and I think it was a lot more to do with Andre Corbello. To point, to point at one person and say, you lost the game, that would be too much, because you got to keep in mind, Trent Frazier was the one that decided to pick up his dribble, essentially, at half court. And I know it was a kickball or so it looked like that, but you know what? You cannot do that. For a fifth-year Trent, that was very surprising. Uh, Jacob Grandison uh, was really struggling down the stretch. DeMonte Williams fouling 90 feet away from the basket. Omar Payne just running into a Marquette guy 80 feet away from the basket. So it was a cavalcade of really dumb decisions. That, that to me, is more concerning than just Andre Corbello. But the point remains, you will go where Andre Corbello goes this year. And to see that, and granted, only his second start of the year was a slice of humble pie that I hope will turn into a positive for this team. Now, I do not buy the notion that this team had to have a performance like that in order to improve or that they needed uh, you know, to get slapped in the face like that in order to figure out, wait, we need to actually focus every game. For one, you're at a point uh, with this program, I would think, where you don't need to have these continual reminders or these slices of humble pie. I'd like to think that in your third consecutive, what should be, successful season, that you're beyond that. Maybe not, though. Maybe not. Uh, but yeah, I don't buy the notion that this team had to be that bad to learn a lesson. But then the alternative would be, well, wait a second. Let's say they escape with a win. Let's say Andre Corbello gets a game-winning shot after everything that came before it. What is the ultimate lesson? It's that, well, I can probably just erase all of my mistakes with some late-game heroics. I think that might have been the lesson. And that's not what I want him or the team to learn either. As they are in a search for a closer, I think Trent Frazier is probably your closer in the backcourt. 
Corbello is someone that can facilitate anyone to be the closer, and that Kofi is your closer down low. But of course, in late-game situations, Kofi's free-throw shooting, that's going to come into play. That's going to be a potential problem for you. With Andre Corbello, am I worried about Andre? I'm not. I'm not worried about him overall. However, the seed was planted. And as I mentioned in the opening segment, the seed that was planted is, oh my God, they could do this again in March. And as a fan, it helps me recalibrate. And this may not be a bad thing for us fans in general, right? I was so high on this team, and I still am high on this team. And if you watched other Big Ten games, by the way, you would still be high on this team to finish in the top three of the conference. I don't know how good the Big Ten is. I don't think they're that good at all. I mean, Maryland loses at home last night to George Mason. Michigan loses at home to a good but not great Seton Hall team, so they're still figuring things out. Purdue will probably be the most consistent team, but I don't know if their ceiling is as high as an Illinois or a Michigan. And yeah, I'm not buying it. Indiana struggled to get a win last night. And uh, no, I just, it's, we saw last year it's overrated, but I still want a Big Ten title. And it's right in front of you. And you can win that with the strength of a guy like Andre Curbelo. But unfortunately, I just don't want to be at the end of the season and look at one, two, or three games where you lost it because. Your star point guard had one of those. And if it's anything like the Marquette game, that's going to lose you ball games. I mean, it, it was really remarkable to look at the play-by-play and see essentially four turnovers, three or four turnovers, four or five missed shots. He did make one out of two free throws late, but it turned into hero ball. And what I am concerned about more than Andre Curbelo is Brad Underwood's in-game adjustments. I'm not concerned about Brad Underwood, the program builder. I mean, this thing is as healthy as it's been, like I said, in a long time. You will have sustained success with Brad Underwood. His record in the Big Ten alone speaks for itself. The guy knows what he's doing. So I'm not going to question Brad Underwood as a coach, but I am going to question whether or not his flaw or weakness may be, I don't know if I want to say stubbornness, but uh, a little bit of a you know slow to make those in-game adjustments that might make the difference. Loyola is the most glaring example, and unfortunately, until you have postseason success, that is going to loom large. But if I were to take that game or some other disappointments last year, it felt like as the games went along, you kept waiting for some sort of shift or some sort of change that never came. And even if that was a shock to the system and saying, guys, just do a full court press and try to create some turnovers or, you know, a little bit more zone defense in certain situations, it felt like it, you know, as flexible as he has been in the past with changing their style, especially from the up-tempo defense to the more you know pack-line defense they did in year three. We've seen flexibility macro, but in the micro, inside of a game management situation, it seems like they got a plan and they're just going to stick to it. And I don't know, that's concerning, especially if you have a game like Marquette where you just really needed one more play. I mean, that's it. You need one more play. Marquette was doing everything they could to say, no, we don't really want the game. And he said, no, no, no. Let us take it from here. We are going to blow this game come hell or high water. It is remarkable the amount of opportunities Illinois wasted on Monday. They should be 3-0. and Actually, no, let me take that back. Uh, <laughs> they probably shouldn't be. They should have lost by six or seven. But when you factor in how many mistakes Marquette was making themselves, yeah, you should be 3-0. and When you factor in that Marquette isn't that good in the first place, yes, you should be 3-0. and Even without Kofi, you should be 3-0 and and still in the top 10 going into this tournament next week. And I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I wanted to be greedy and have a successful year from the opening tip to the very end. Okay, that's probably unreasonable. I get that. Plenty of teams have struggled so far in the early going. 
but you'd be lying to yourself if you said Monday was not an exhausting game to watch. It was ugly. So ugly, in fact, that it can't help but raise a few yellow flags about, uh uh-oh, what if this team doesn't reach the expectations that we had for it? What are those expectations? I mean, for me, it's competing for a Big Ten title. I think they should actually win the Big Ten title when you consider the returning players and the strength of your point guard and center. And I still think that Andre Corbello, when all is said and done, will be the best point guard in the Big Ten. I still do. After as bad as Monday was, I still am very much on the Andre Corbello train. Uh, I also think that when you look at Purdue and Michigan, Purdue, as I said a few minutes ago, their ceiling, I think, is somewhat capped. And I think Michigan's ceiling is so much contingent on freshmen that you just can't bank on that. So I'm going with Illinois and the mix of veterans and younger guys. But where are some of those yellow flags? Well, one of them would probably be Alfonso Plummer. I don't know what you got there. Because in three games, he's been essentially a non-factor. You saw a little bit in Jackson State in the opener. In the second half, he started to get more comfortable. But against Arkansas State and certainly against Marquette, a non-factor. He was not playing late against Marquette. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, this is not just some dude from, I mean, remember Mike, uh, Mark Allstork, right, from Wright State? That was a pretty good transfer, all things considered, even though he didn't live up to his expectations here. We're talking about Alfonso Plummer, who was in the Pac-12, the best three-point shooter in the Pac-12. And when the offense was stagnant, we still were not putting him in the game because he's not particularly good at defense and he's not making shots right now. What he's doing for you, I'm not really sure. And that is a yellow flag, not to the degree of Aaron Cosby. I'm not going to go that far, but I'm waiting for an Alfonso Plummer game. And while it's early in the season, you haven't really seen hardly a spark from him. And uh, that is a bit alarming. I remember when they got him thinking for a second, well, if Trent Frazier doesn't come back, at least he got Plummer. I also remember thinking and even saying on this podcast that, you know, you lose Adam Miller, but at the end of the day, uh, I think Alfonso Plummer can match that production. Eh, wrong. Probably not going to happen. God, you could use Adam Miller right now, couldn't you? Another yellow flag is that DeMonte Williams, as much of a glue guy as he is, he's not shooting those threes. And I don't know if he's going to shoot 50% this year. He probably is not. But I would like to think that he could shoot 40% or even 35 And you can take that. But he's starting to pass up threes. He's doing everything else right. But he's starting to turn back into not so much timid, but just being far too generous and saying, no, 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 you take it. I'm the glue guy. I don't need to shoot it. Shoot it, DeMonte. You got a great shot. Go for it. Grandison, with a couple things late that were just uncharacteristically sloppy from him, um, as good as he was for most of those three games. Um, but if I were to flip this back, I'm mentioning yellow flags. How about some positives? Coleman Hawkins, I thought, settled in. And he still produced. He still got his, and he still had some absolutely amazing plays offensively and defensively. He is a star. I'm not worried about him. And I really think the fact that you saw within one game from the first to the second half, he got comfortable on the road. That was his first road game. Um, He got more comfortable than Andre Corbello. I, I really do think that Coleman Hawkins is going to continue to have a monster year, and that raises your ceiling. And uh, I, I think that he seems to be a quick learner. Very quick to adjust to whatever's going on. So that is a positive. Trent Frazier was a star offensively. And I know that there was the play at midcourt, which is very frustrating. But uh, I'm thinking, man, you know, after Io Desumu, you will need Trent to be more like freshman year Trent in terms of point production. And I think you might get that. 21 points, I think he finished with. Absolutely on fire. And what was really frustrating when you went into that slump in the last 530 
it was too late by the time you finally insisted on giving him the ball. It was too late, and that's frustrating. Uh, but Trent was a star offensively, and of course his rock-solid self-defensively. I think he's primed for a big year. So that's another positive for Monday night. But the biggest positive of all, you get Kofi back. You get the player of the year, presumed player of the year. I think that his production will probably put him right there with Timmy from Gonzaga. And if we were to say, does Illinois win that game with Kofi? The answer is yes, of course they do. Is Illinois as sloppy without Kofi? The answer is no, of course they aren't. And just take Corbello by himself. The pick and roll game that him and Kofi run, that alone opens up so much more offensively that I got to think that Corbello is just sort of like a fish out of water. He's like, where'd my guy go? Where's Kofi? And why not? Kofi makes everything easier, not just for Corbello, but everybody else. It makes spacing that much easier. It opens up a lot more three-point shots. I think this team will be shooting a lot better when Kofi's out there. We, we cannot understate the impact of Kofi. I probably should have factored that in a bit more before the Marquette game even started. But, you know, I was rearing to go. I wanted to win this road game, and then Shaka Smart's hitting the floor, and I'm starting to get pissed off at all his histrionics and and thinking, no, 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 no. let's win this game. Kofi or not, I really want to beat Shaka freaking Smart, the guy that passed Illinois in 2013 only to, I don't want to say fail at Texas, but not quite get that going. And now he's at Marquette. And no offense to Marquette, Illinois is a better program, despite what you saw on Monday. So I really didn't want to lose to him and his new hair, which is still freaking me out. But Kofi being back changes everything, and I actually expect them to really kick Cincinnati's butt. I think that the mix of what happened Monday, a week off to prep for it, and Kofi coming back, you will see the good parts of the Brad Underwood era, which is they tend to respond well after losses. And I hope that that carries over then into your second game against whether it be Kansas State or presumably Arkansas. You win the two games next week before Rio Grande Valley, Texas, whatever, they come in here on a Friday, Black Friday night. Uh, you win those two games in Kansas City, then all of a sudden the mojo's going again. And then the Notre Dame game on Monday, November 29th, I think it is, at the State Farm Center for the Big Ten ACC Challenge, you're right back where you were. I mean, this Marquette game, the fortunate thing about it happening this early and without Kofi is that uh, it will be forgotten about if you go on a win streak here, as I think they should. Now, let's say you split in Kansas City. <sighs> I can't, I don't want to do this hot and cold thing. And I know that if they look great against Cincinnati, despite my better judgment, I'm going to go into that Arkansas game all fired up and ready to go. And I will be just livid if they lose, you know, and I'm still working on that. 35 years old, and I'm still figuring out how not to be an absolute moron of a fan and ride the roller coaster when I know, uh, you know, the logical part of me says, don't do that. Just chill out a bit. But I do think it's more likely that they win the two games in Kansas City. I think that's the most likely outcome. Uh, one against a good Arkansas team that would help with a quality win early. And then you start off 5-1 and one before the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And you're, if not in the top 10, right by it. And essentially where you were before the season began. You were not going to get knocked all that much, or at least for that long, uh, uh, with the Marquette game. I do think that will be rather short-term memory for AP voters. And you might ask yourself, well, what does it matter? where this team's ranked now. And I would agree with that to an extent. But I do think that momentum matters, and we've seen that with recruiting in 2022. You know, this program's in a different place than they were two years ago, so they're able to close out a good recruiting class. Well, if you can be a top 10 team all year, that's going to look pretty good for like a Jeremy Fears in the 2023 class. So yeah, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want this team to be a top 10 team 
throughout the entire season because they should be. There's no reason they shouldn't be. How do you get back into that conversation? Go on a run here. And maybe by the end of this uh, this non-conference and then the games against um, at Iowa and Rutgers at home, maybe you can enter 2022 with one loss on your record. And if it happens to be at Marquette without Kofi, I think we all move on fairly quickly from that. Even me, as angry as I was on Monday night, I think I would probably get over that. Uh, real quick, one more note. As I mentioned the opening segment about the recruiting class and why I'm so optimistic about this program long-term, want to hit on that real quick and the impact 2022 could have next year. You are presumably, well, not presumably, you are losing Trent Frazier. I don't know if Jaden Epps is going to immediately be slotted in the Trent Frazier role, but he's someone that can score, and I do think that he's going to get plenty of tick next year. You are losing Demonte Williams, and maybe Jacob Grandison, and then maybe Austin Hutcherson if he ever plays. I don't know if he will or not. But at the wing position, to add a guy like Ty Rogers, he will play right away in probably 25 minutes a game, if not more. He's an immediate impact guy, and while his stat sheet may not be a double-double or something, I would not be surprised if he has that sort of Sergio McLean effect early on where he's getting eight and five and four assists and then playing great defense and just being a glue guy, but a productive glue guy. So you can withstand, I think, the loss of a DeMonte and maybe even a Grandison with the help of a Ty Rogers and continuing emergence of a Coleman Hawkins. You got Curbelo, you're adding Epps and Sincere Harris to the backcourt. Uh, to me, it seems like this 2022 class will be more seamlessly integrated right away. Whereas these freshmen that we have right now, I think Luke Goody is going to have a role. I think RJ Melendez is going to have a role. Brandon Podzimski might be the odd man out uh, just because the rotation is so big. But you do have size in this current class, so you're really looking at a roster next year where everyone is somewhere between 6'5 and 7 feet tall. And mostly, the, the average height is probably like 6'7, 6'8. It's ridiculous. I mean, that is size and athleticism that you saw from, let's say, a Baylor last year. And that's the model. You know, if there was one issue with last year's Illinois team as a one seed, as good as they were— it kind of was a lack of size, and that's including Kofi in the equation. It was a lack of size, and they were not the fastest team by any measure. Pretty good in the fast break, um, but not necessarily the most athletic of the one seeds that were in that tournament. So we saw that against Baylor early last year. I think that's the model to go for, and it appears as if Brad Underwood is probably going that direction with these recruits. So 2022, man, that's a good class. And you get the transfer portal. You get a big what you will need to get after Kofi leaves, or maybe Omar Payne can really develop. And I think as long as he gets hands, he's going to be fine. If he can really develop that, I'm not concerned about Omar Payne being productive. And BBV, who knows, even though the shot heard around the world on Monday night, probably the worst shot in recent Illini basketball history. No offense, BBV. I'm a fan, but dear God. I, I, it was sort of like if you remember the Rock and Jock basketball games on MTV back in the day, and they had a 10-foot hoop, and then they had a 20-foot hoop. And it's like he was shooting for that 20-foot hoop in Rock and Jock. You know, the 10-pointer. I, I, I didn't get it. I've never seen anything like that. Let's not do that again. Okay, that's it for Illini basketball. Illini football, before we leave, as I get a quick thing of coffee here. What are we, 27 minutes into this thing? Ah, okay, so we had It's Whipple, and there was another one here. Um, I apologize for the Twitch stream. Tabit. Hello, Tabit. What's up? Um, and for those that are watching the Twitch stream afterwards, again, it's twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level if you want a visual accompaniment. I'm not really dressed for the occasion. I'm in my running clothes. And uh, yeah, I think that I noticed too after that first Twitch stream, 
I started to get back into that fanboy mode of wearing a certain outfit on game day. I wore my Kofi jersey. I love my Kofi jersey. I'm going to wear it to every home game. But I don't need to wear Illini stuff for every single game, right? So you may not be seeing me rock the Kofi jersey or Illini apparel for every game. To me, sometimes that's like a self-defense thing. If I'm wearing something else, like a band t-shirt or something, I can watch the game with a little bit more uh, detachment. You know, and then if it's over and it doesn't end the way that I want it to, I can just say, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm not wearing a Illini shirt. I can move on with my night a lot easier. That sounds sick, doesn't it? There's something clearly wrong with me. Okay, Illini football, big opportunity at Iowa on Saturday. We get the news on Tuesday that Brett Bielma has COVID. And on Monday, he did the Zoom press conference. So I think a lot of people suspected something was up. Test positive, not asymptomatic, but very mild symptoms which is to be expected for a guy that had gotten his booster five days before. So he wasn't probably at the 90% or 95% protection that they say you get two weeks after the booster, but let's say 70, right? But still relatively protected, and he's going to be fine, which is good, and his family doesn't have it, so that's even better because he's got two young kids. But what does it mean for Saturday? I was listening to Jay Lehman on Jeremy Warner's podcast, and I was curious of that myself. And Jay Lehman said it does matter. you know. Now, it matters for different teams depending on the role that the coach plays. When it comes to the play calling, for example, Brett Bielema really kind of defers to his coordinator. So it's not going to affect that much. It does affect timeouts and decisions on, let's say, fourth downs or penalties. Do you take them? Do you not? So that matters. When it comes to motivation, this is where I kind of am waffling back and forth before Saturday's game. There could be a win-one-for-the-gipper kind of mentality, right? They could go into that game at Iowa City and say, hey, coach isn't here. We're going to go win one for him. But ultimately, I worry that just the lack of his presence, there's only so long you can keep up the the win-one-for-the-gipper if you can't see the gipper. And he can't have any contact with the team beginning 90 minutes before that game. So he's going to be out of sight, out of mind. So unless they're really good at conjuring up images of Brett Bielema on the sidelines and flip-flops, which is what he wears around the Smith Performance Center all the time, it's going to be difficult, I think, for them to maintain any sort of motivation that's derived from, well, he played at Iowa, so let's win one for him. We'll see. I might be wrong about that. I think this is going to be a competitive game for a while, but I just worry overall about our ability to run it consistently against Iowa. Minnesota, as good as they were against the run, That's not a program to Iowa's level. And I think at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, where the programs are at matters. And Minnesota is just not as seasoned, not as put together as what Kirk Ferentz has up at Iowa. And I think that that alone, as as simplistic as that sounds, might be the difference in a game where whoever runs the ball best is going to win. I think Illinois can run the ball better, but the problem is the passing game is so bad that you are so reliant on the run game that I was just going to stack the stack the box far more than we are probably going to stack the box against Iowa. You know, Iowa, whether it's Petrus or the other quarterback, they can make the occasional throw. And God knows they're probably going to find their tight end in the seam once, twice, or five times. Let's hope not, but that's likely. With Illinois, what's the threat? You know, what is the threat with Brandon Peters? We saw that Tony Peterson, or maybe a little bit of Brett Bielema, was unwilling to let Peters throw the ball in the second half of that game. And while I'm not the world's biggest Brandon Peters fan, he is playing better. And you quite simply need him to make the occasional throw if you're going to win this game. So if I were to make a prediction right now, if Brandon Peters can make three 
lar- okay, three big plays. So let's say three passes over 20 yards. Three. I think Illinois wins. I think that alone would be enough to stretch out Iowa's defense to allow Chase Brown and maybe a little bit of Josh McCray to do their thing. Now, what percentage am I going to give Illinois a chance to win? I'm going to say 20%. You know, with Brett Bielema, you might go a little bit. With him out, you might go a little bit under that. I mean, there's a reason Illinois is a 12-point dog. But if I remember the Minnesota game, I think they were 10 or 11-point dogs. Or maybe 13. And they ended up beating that spread by 20 points. So I don't want to count this team short. I would be surprised if they got blown out. I think that ultimately, though, for as well uh, as they played against Penn State and Minnesota and how most everything went right in those games, there's enough that would need to go right against Iowa that makes me a little bit leery about this. The margin for error is smaller, and I just don't have the trust in this team or this program yet to get that done. Now, the good news is this. If you were to happen to lose to Iowa but beat Northwestern, it looks as if there will be enough slots open in bowl games where your APR could get you into a bowl game. And as we talked about with Trevor and Isaac, if this team gets into a bowl game at 5-7, and seven, I don't care. That's fine. I, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be excited for that bowl game. In fact, if it's in Detroit, as if it looks like it might be at the Quick Lane Bowl, I would be up there with Kara and her family for uh, Christmas anyway, and I'd probably go to the thing because why not? It would be an achievement, even a 5-7. and seven. And when you consider where these five wins came from, if you were to have beaten Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota, Penn State, uh, four of, yeah, so four Big Ten wins, right? In the first year for a new coach? Hell, I'll take that. And I would have taken that before the year. I would have taken 5-7 and seven if you were to have told me that you got four wins in the Big Ten, including two on the road against spring teams. Um, we knew it was not going to be perfect this year. We knew that this team was going to have struggles. Even after the Nebraska game, I try to temper my expectations, but it's all about how you finish. Cliche as that sounds, it truly is. And I think that going five and seven with a bowl appearance is still basically as good as going six and six with a bowl appearance. Just don't get blown out by Iowa. You know, don't lose that mojo. And and for the love of God, beating Northwestern, they aren't good. And I would like to think that Brett Bielema can end this hex that Northwestern and even bad Northwestern teams have on Illinois. The last two Northwestern teams, okay, last year they made the Big Ten championship, right? Two years ago, though, they came in with as a two-win team. They were two and nine. And, of course, they finished three and nine after smoking you with their third or fourth-string quarterback when you knew what they were running and you couldn't stop them. So let's end this hex. Northwestern, for all their success— I don't think at the end of the day is a great program. I think that they are the beneficiaries, and I'm, I'm trying not just to say this as an Illini fan. I think they are the beneficiaries of a Big Ten West that has been wildly inconsistent, while Pat Fitzgerald has been wildly consistent, all things considered. And I look at what Brett Bielema is trying to do here. It's essentially Northwestern with better talent. Don't make mistakes. Run the ball. Play defense. It is a boring brand of football, but it works in the Big Ten West. Pat Fitzgerald figured that out. He's had success with it. But if Illinois can just maintain uh, some good recruiting and build class after class, and if P.J. Fleck gets you know, consistency going at Minnesota and it looks like he's kind of a perpetual seven-win guy, then I do expect Northwestern to fall back to the sixth or seventh spot in that Big Ten West. I mean, hell, Purdue. You know, just when I thought that Jeff Brown might have lost all that mojo, well, here he is now with a really good season now that David Bell is back. So beat Northwestern. I think you do. I won't be here for it. I'll be up in Michigan for the Thanksgiving holiday. And honestly, I don't know how many people will even go to that game. I hate 
that Thanksgiving weekend. As much as I love watching football over Thanksgiving weekend, whenever there's a home Illinois football game, it's an afterthought. And it's never going to be a big thing. We saw back in the Big Ten Championship in 2001, and granted, that was on Thanksgiving Day, people didn't come. It's just not something that Illini fans or Illini football fans are have built into their DNA. And I get it because there's other commitments and Illinois football hasn't really given us many reasons to devote holiday time to going to tailgate in 30 degree weather. Though, um, I will be happy to watch it from afar. And if they win, I will feel great. Even if that's the fifth win and not the sixth year, sixth win of the year. So Illinois, Iowa, going to be excited for it. Also excited because on Saturday, my family's coming over for Thanksgiving. We've not been able to celebrate a holiday like this together since Christmas of 2019. If I think about it, you know, some birthdays here and there, but in terms of a big family holiday, we're having a Thanksgiving dinner as the game is on. Um, It's going to be a really cool convergence of a lot of our favorite things and things that we haven't been able to do for a while. So that's going to be fun Saturday, which means I don't think I would have a post-game podcast even after a win. If I did, it would be later on Saturday, but I do anticipate having some reaction on Sunday. And then that takes us to Monday where we will do a live podcast in the basement, an early one. Second half of the Cincinnati game will start around 6.30 or 6.40. And then Tuesday night, as long as you beat Cincinnati, I think the late game would be between the winners of Illinois, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Kansas State. I'm hoping for the late game then on Tuesday. I'm hoping for a sweep next week for Illinois basketball. And I would love the cherry on top of all this would be somehow beating Iowa. It has been way overdue. 2008. 2008. I remember that day very well. You beat Iowa, but I remember walking out of that stadium after Ron Sook inexplicably called the timeout to leave a bunch of time on the clock for uh, Iowa when you could have taken the clock all the way down to like five seconds before, was it Jason Rita? Kicked the field goal. And you still had to kick it off and you had to stop a few plays. And I know that might seem like a small thing, but by that point, the 2008 season was already kind of a disappointment. It felt like too little too late and Ronzik was still making so many dumb game time decisions that I I just, I couldn't do it. So I was happy, of course, but little did I know that'd be the last time you would beat Iowa. (sighs) I mean, before that, you beat them in 2000 at home. You beat them in 1999. Neil Rackers went crazy up at Iowa City and I think Kirk Ferentz's first year. Uh, But yeah, success few and far between. It's time to change that. I'm I'm sick of Iowa football, even though I I can't hate Kirk Ferentz. I, I just can't. Ferentz or Ferentz, I go back and forth. It's difficult for me as much as I hate Fran McCaffrey and that basketball program to feel the same about that football program because they do everything right. It's everything I want Illinois to be. It's also everything I think Illinois could become. That is a template they could actually match, I think. Uh, One last thought before we dip out of here today, approaching the 40-minute mark. Michigan State is going to pay Mel Tucker $95 million to be their head coach. Now, there is some symbolism behind this. There is some... um, History being made. He will become the highest paid African-American coach, not just in college sports, but sports. So Mike Tomlin, for example, he would be making more than Mike Tomlin. That's a lot of money. Now, if a donor antes up money, and it appears that's what's happened with Michigan State, nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not really coming from the school's coffers. And if you know you got big donors that want to win, what the hell? They can spend money on it. I would love for Shad Khan to spend $9 million a year to lure in a great coach or keep a great coach if Brad Underwood becomes a hot commodity or Brett Bielema becomes a hot commodity. 
I also understand that Michigan State felt the walls closing in and felt like they needed to wrap this up. And to do so, they need to throw silly money around or stupid money. But at the end of the day, this is stupid money. This is a guy that's won 16 games. They're about to play Ohio State on Saturday. Now imagine, and this is not unrealistic, that after this week's that he's going to get $95 million on a 10-year deal to State Michigan State, that they just get smoked by Ohio State. I mean, it could happen. And then they play Penn State. And let's say they lose to them. And then all of a sudden, you're staring down the barrel of a 9-3 and three or 8-4 and four season, which is really good. And maybe the point here with this contract is not so much this year, but building that long-term thing and letting recruits know that you mean business. That all is true. But Mel Tucker is not that experienced of a head football coach. And they could throw this money around to really even an experienced coach. And I'd say, good God, what do we do? Where are our priorities here? And this is coming from someone that has always argued uh, when someone will say, well, I just don't get why there's so much money in sports. The easy answer to that is because, well, there's so much revenue coming in. So, of course, you're going to pay these coaches money. And I do feel a little better about this, given the fact that Mel Tucker's own athletes can go out there and they can use their name, image, likeness to make money themselves. That makes this, in a way, a little bit more palatable. It, It tastes a little less sour because of that. But, dear God, that is stupid money. And I don't know if that's going to bite Michigan State or not. What little I know of Mel Tucker, defensive coordinator for the Bears, it didn't work. And I know that was an aging defense, but it was the worst Bears defense of all time. I think statistically it was. And then he has a little bit of success at Colorado. Michigan State is desperate after Mark D'Antonio leaves under some fairly shady circumstances. And they got to throw silly money at him initially just to lure him out of Colorado. I just don't think it's a guarantee it's going to work. And not, not that it's ever a guarantee that these things are going to work. I just think it's less a guarantee that it's going to work with Mel Tucker than a lot of other coaches. And hey, my wife's a Michigan State alum, and I, I hope for her sake and their fans' sake that they have a lot of success because if there's a team in the Big Ten East that I don't mind having success, it's probably Michigan State and Michigan State football too, right? Um, but it just seems a little outlandish. You know, when you when you read a headline and then you read the story and both of them just sort of make you think, well, wait, what are we doing here? And then I've been reflecting on it and thinking, I, I, yeah, that's too much money. I'm thinking, what numbers was Mel Tucker receiving from LSU under the table or his agent, for that matter, to somehow get Michigan State to say, you know, we're going to go from three mil a year or whatever it was to nine point five, like no middle ground. You can't do the 10 year deal for 60 million and that's that wouldn't be enough to keep him. And was he really the top guy for an LSU? If so, I would have even questioned LSU and said, well, you're going to throw up this much money for a guy that's only coached really two and a half years? Would have seemed a bit much, though history might have repeated itself, and maybe he would have been the next Nick Saban. And I think that's Michigan State's fear, is they don't want another Nick Saban situation. And I would understand why that would inform these donors as they decide they're going to put $9.5 million towards their head coach. Stupid money, but you know what? It ain't my money, so have at it. All right, that's it for the 200 level tonight. Got to thank DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. 15 years they've been around. These guys are tremendous. There's a reason they've been around for that long because on campus you're going to find few places that are as good and a bang for your buck. That's what you get with DP Doe Calzones. Order online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. 
And uh, they got plenty of swag up there for football and basketball, including a new Juice Williams t-shirt at 4thandkirby.com. Also, got to thank, uh, let's see here, Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs. Go online for a free estimate at rectorconstruction.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he could be your guy too at brianismyguy.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, some of you that did here on Twitch, kind of in and out during dinner time. I know it's a weird time to do a Twitch live stream, but this will be up on our Twitch channel. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want the video element, and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, right? To see this basement studio and me and my running clothes. Go online to twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level and follow us and you'll get notifications whenever we do go live, which will be, I think, for every podcast going forward because why not? Why not add the video to it? Thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Um, if you can, rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and that uh, helps us as we try to move up the search engines there. We will talk to you, if not Saturday evening, sometime Sunday morning after Illinois, Iowa. Who knows? Um, a win and I would be over the moon. And a loss, just be competitive and beat Northwestern, and I'm fine. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we'll see you soon, everybody. It is the 200 level.